Hello everyone, Preston here just hopping on before the podcast starts to let you know that this episode was recorded before Ken Holland's press conference, which we talk about quite a bit at the start of the episode. I thought about cutting it, but uh, well, we basically called everything, so consider this our thoughts on the whole thing. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Copper and Blue. I'm your host, Preston Hodgkinson. Joining me are my co-hosts, Shona Hickmore and Gerard Murray. And wow, oh wow, the rumor mill is exploding around oil country right now. Tons of stuff happening around the the team as they are in the midst of another, what is it, five-game losing streak? Is it a six-game losing streak now? Where are we at? Um, Well, Dave Tippett hasn't won a game behind the bench since December 1st. That's like the most concrete. Yeah, I think he's I think he's at around 11 or 12 right now. So things are not all hunky dory here for the Edmonton Oilers. And that has uh, led to Ken Holland um, being scheduled to do a press conference tomorrow. Or if you're I guess it's today, if you're listening to this on the day of its launch. So um, no firings expected at this thing. What should we expect from uh, from Ken Holland at this press conference? Opening up Hold the floor on, to I you guys. A non-profane <laughs> way to explain what I expect. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing how the 2001 Detroit Red Wings would have solved these problems. Yes. No. Yeah. Nicholas Lindstrom. Right. Yeah. That's it. The one. How, word what would Nicholas Lindstrom do? Yeah. Personally, <laughs> you know, my expectation is, uh, you know, fucking bullshit by the truckload. To be quite honest, like, or to be blunt. You know, I suspect that Holland will, you know, create a narrative where the Oilers' struggles aren't as, you know, fast as they actually are. So it'll be like one or two pieces that are missing. So we just need to get a a bit more reliable goaltender and, and maybe one or two more pieces in our bottom six. The same exact same bullshit he was spewing last year. I will bet my entire, everything I own, all my material possessions, I'll bet on on him saying, well, you know, injuries have been, and COVID has been a big, uh, big hampering on this team. If if that didn't happen, I bet we'd be doing a lot better. Like, he's going to say something like that. Even though every other team in the league has been dealing with the exact same issues, we are definitely yeah. going to hear him pinning this on COVID and on, on injuries and not because of flawed yeah. roster construction. Oh, and I also think it's we're going to hear a lot about, you know, oh, we've got excellent prospects, you know, there'll be that like, you know, and things like Hallway being up with the team practicing last week will come up, I'm pretty sure, in the excellent prospects and hope for the future section of the press conference. Yeah, And I mean, yes, we have some great, wonderfully talented players. But I'm pretty sure that currently they roster consider or someone there are two players that are considered among the best in the world at this whole hockey thing. And we're still not doing very well. So I would say maybe it's time to step back from the talent level of individual players as a metric for how much success the Oilers should have going forward. And, you know, but what can I expect from a guy that was 
you know, publicly out there earlier this year, uh, mocking uh, basic analytics because, you know, back in the 1991 Red Wings era, they didn't use them, you know, or the 2001 Red Wings era. What was it? Sorry. What was it, Gerard? It was 2001 Red Wings era, right? Like late 90s, early aughts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't wait for Dylan Holloway to be the biggest trade deadline acquisition that the Oilers have this season and how that's (laughs) going to get sold off because that always happens every time there's an injury that someone's coming back in February, March, you know, oh, well, really, you can think of it as a trade deadline acquisition. Like, no, you just happened upon this guy. That opens up the whole. um, I I thought we drafted that guy. Lucic as well. It's the same type of thing where it's like, hmm. Not, not yeah. really, but I, whatever floats your boat, man. Yeah, it's going to be, a, I think it's going to be a whole lot of nothing. It's going to be him being like, well, the answer's in that room. It's the players we have here. He said that earlier, I think in November, when we, we first started to struggle. And I guess, I'm guessing we're going to hear it again. And then, of, of course, he's going to go on and on about the Detroit Red Wings. Um, something he's done, I think, every chance he's had to, every media availability we've had with Ken Holland has been him being like, well, when I was in Detroit, uh, we did the same thing uh, we're, and we did this and this and this and this. And he doesn't realize that, hey, that was in the pre-cap era, Ken. This is a whole new game now. Um, I also the think it's going to be... The other thing he doesn't realize is, one, yes, you're right, cap era. Two, like, Ken, serious question. Are you having issues, like geographical issues? Or are you forgetting that you relocated to Edmonton? Because, like, when I was in Detroit, that sounds like somebody's you know, grandpa in the home talking about back in the day, Yeah. you know, <laughs> like if you want me to believe that you're still legitimate, spoiler, you can't make me believe you're still a legitimate contender to be an NHL GM. But if you were to try to make me believe it, um, telling me about shit you did 20 years ago is way to do that for some reason wait 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 wait. where else have we heard this narrative where just because they did good in the past means they're good now i feel like there's another person on this team that does that Mm -hmm. very two or three other people on this team. yeah maybe maybe more than one (laughs) the philosophy i know exactly the one that you're 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 lining up but uh contention uh, is that Mike Smith also falls into that category? Kyle Turris. Kyle Turris also falls into that, I think. Um, Devin Shore may have had five good games at one point, and we know Zach Cassian had three <laughs> at some point. So. Hey, 2012 was a good year. It was only 10 years ago. <laughs> um, well. And uh, I'm guessing we're going to hear something again along the lines of. Uh, someone is going to inevitably ask about Dave Tippett at this. Our media here kind of sucks, but this is kind of a gimme question that's going to happen at this press conference. And I, I bet you everything, again, putting everything on the line, we're going to hear uh, Dave Tippett is my guy. Dave Tippett is the guy to lead this group out of this. And it's just, honestly, at this point, it's embarrassing. It's, it's frankly embarrassing that the Oilers are this hell-bent on doing nothing of note to write the course. So, uh, so you can't I'm, go for it every year, you know, as we've been told, right? Can't go for Apparently every year. you can't go for it any year. Hey, we're, I we're, thought this was the year. We're not even through the first decade with Connor McDavid. You know, we got to be patient, right? That's that's the <laughs> that's the mantra. Like, yeah, I well, the, the honestly, only yeah. <laughs> I am honestly continually boggled by the level of patience that this fan base shows. I think that. Um, 
For whatever reason, the Oilers have a longer rope in this city than just about any other sports team I've ever seen, barring that one in Toronto um, that we don't need to talk about um, for just continual fucking uppery. Honestly, I would even disagree there because if the Leafs lose two games in a row, people's jobs are being called for. Like it's it's pandemonium down there. We could lose twenty games in a row and we stay the course, right? Yes, but historically, the Leafs have had about as much success as yeah. we have in the last fifteen years. And yes, you know they've had a lot of turnover, and yes, we've had a lot of turnover. Um, I think part of the problem for the Edmonton media is that it's a big fish or it's a small pond. So none of the fish really want to rock the boat and get kicked out of the pond, which is fine. You know, the, the, the reporters have to do their best to, to do whatever they, it is that they think is appropriate for their lives and careers. But in Toronto, I think it's a much, uh, a much different kind of um, dynamic around reporting, which helps with the calling for people's um, heads. Because, you know, there are those elements of Oilers fans. Wait, hold on, hold on. Oh, yes, still those elements of Oilers fans that have been pretty less than impressed by the entirety of this year. I mean, like, we were running off at, like, 7-0, and and I was like, everybody, hold your horses, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, um, so I think, that, I think that, you know, we do have, you know, and we are getting a more vocal fan base that are saying like, this is enough is enough. But I just, I don't think, I think the pond is too small. Yeah. At this, at this point, it's um, when you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl entering their prime years here in Edmonton and you're wasting them by barely making the playoffs. I could frankly give a or, shit about how many where, coaches. Where are we? Are we in a playoff position right now? No, we're not even in a playoff position. We're struggling to get in a playoff wasting position. Wasting them by making a, we may <laughs> not make the playoffs. I know. Again. And, and at when at this point, I don't care about stability. I don't care about um oh Connor McDavid has to have this coach for a while so he gets used to his system and stuff. I don't care about that. Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisauer are so good that it doesn't matter what coach you put in there, they're gonna be good nonetheless. Just you need a Pretty coach. Sure. Fire as many coaches as it takes to get this team to be good. Fire as many general managers as it takes to be good. I don't care about the turnover in coaches. You have these two guys, you got to go for it. So I, I could give a shit about uh, stability and patience during a time like this. It's, it's ridiculous. swearing. <laughs> there we go. Really hit the big time here, people. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's ridiculous. It's, it's embarrassing that we, that Karma McDavid yes. has been here and we've hired the two worst people to manage him and we're doing nothing about it. And, you know, we could stay on and on about how. Ken Holland and Peter Shreddy were bad for this team. But at this point, you've wasted so many years of these guys. You have to look at the root cause of the problem. Who's bringing in those guys? Well, it's Bob Nicholson. Who brought Bob Nicholson? is Daryl Cates. And it, it was easy for me to go and call for the owner, but um, it's not realistic. Daryl Cates is not selling this team. And no, but you know, probably going to be here until. Yeah, so. Daryl Cates could admit. So Daryl Cates doesn't need to. Okay. I've been thinking thoughts on this for the last week because I've seen Twitter being like, Daryl Cates needs to sell the Oilers. And I was like, well, that's probably not going to happen. Um, but what Daryl Cates does need to do is Daryl Cates needs to step back and appoint. Uh, Daryl Cates has many, many holdings. And I'm sure Daryl Cates doesn't try to run them all based on the fact that Daryl Cates 
that's a billionaire should be smart enough to know what he's smart enough not to know. So what he needs to do is he needs to appoint not an old hockey man or not a hockey guy or not one of the 35 people that have been, you know, hand selected to be able to run an NHL franchise. He needs to get someone who is like a straight up business manager to run the Oilers for him. And then that guy can pick hockey ops, president of hockey ops. And then that guy, you know, can work with the president of hockey ops to pick a GM, but you know, do it from a business standpoint. Don't do it from a, well, hockey and tradition standpoint, because let's be frank, the Oilers are never going to be fucking anything if they're so busy resting on their 80s laurels and having whoever, you know, from the 80s or who played in the late 80s or the early 90s and coached through the aughts, you know, run their fucking team. One, the world has changed since then. And two, I don't think those guys were half as good as you think they are. They were just the only thing you were given an opportunity to see. Like hockey culture is so insular that if, let's put on my like way back machine hat, um, because I am old compared to both of you. Um, If you think about the big fur over when analytics first started to come into hockey, you know, seven, eight years ago, um, when it was more than just tracking shots on goal and, and save percentage. And, you know, you were starting to differentiate between high and low value chances and shots and, you know, um, all of this shit where hockey men were all like, this doesn't matter. This is not, you know, eye test and grit and the same shit I'm still hearing from the Oilers guys. But, um, you know, and then eventually <laughs> you started to have a change. And, you know, I think the comparable is, is any, if you've ever seen that um, movie Moneyball, where, you know, from analytics and business, you can build something that'll win. Will it win for like a dynasty? No, probably it won't. But holy fuck, I'll take a little bit of winning for a bit. (laughs) Sure is a hell of a lot better than what we have right now. That's for sure. Um, And it's, the, the debate on analytics is weird because you look around the league and you look at the who's at the top of the league and it's a lot of teams that have analytical, dedicated analytical departments. And you look at the bottom, it's didn't it teams to. like Edmonton, you know. So. They didn't used to. And then it, they is, yeah. it is funny because analytics, as we know it, modern, like the modern like definition of analytics within hockey basically grew up in Edmonton's own backyard and they've just failed to take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Well, no, they tried and, and then... They tried, and then Dello had stuff to say that hockey men didn't like. Yeah, so that's, then that's we just decided it. that analytics was absolute trash and never should be touched again. And now we suck. Yeah, I think it's one thing to just disregard analytics completely, but the team just seems to be going out of their way to just, like, own the nerds kind of thing here by, like, no, we insist that we must do it the hockey men way because the hockey men way is the right way. And, like, that's I think yeah, that's more the way. issue than just than just disregarding them. Yeah. Well, no, because they need to prove. Okay. We put on a, an academic hat for a second because I've got a couple. And um, everyone shut up. Just because I say fuck through all of these podcasts doesn't mean I don't actually have pieces of paper with my name on them. I do. Um, but when analytics came into hockey culture, analytics came in as an uh, outside group. Um, and like the, the idea of the way things had been done. We'll call it hockey men for 
uh, shorthand, is very much of an inside group and actually a very powerful group within hockey culture. And analytics came in, you know, an outsider coming in and in-group politics and out-group politics or something that um, come up in both sociology and, and just any way you interact with people. And so we had an in-group and, you know, for, for whatever reason, um, for half a second, our in-group decided, you know, our in-group and our powerful group decided that we wanted to hear from, you know, the out-group, the analytics, the new kids. But then they didn't like it. I think it challenged, it was pr probably far too challenging at that point in time for things that they didn't want to hear. So then you've got a massive amount of pushback um, where your current in-group or your powerful group, your dominant group is seeking to shore up its own legitimacy, you know? So no, it like, it doesn't surprise me that the Oilers have to be so vehemently anti-analytics because their very identity right from that point where they rejected analytics needs to be based on the fact that they don't need that, that other teams need that, but they don't need it. They're somehow um, entrenched in what makes hockey hockey enough that they don't need these add-ons that other people are using that somehow like the innate spirit of, of grit, toughness, and hockey will guide their, their programming. Well, unfortunately, there is no innate spirit of grit, toughness, and hockey. Um, so we suck because things like math and, you know, statistical probabilities and science and, you know, fucking Duncan Keith and his fucking red light shit around covid you know i'm sorry these are things that you know in our world they're they're becoming irrefutably important and just because you don't like them um and you don't feel that they have value does not make their importance any less this isn't um you know us standing around looking at various pieces of art deciding what you know has the most emotional impact this isn't a subjective metric and to be quite frank you know most of analytics are, are the most objective metrics in hockey you know despite the fact that for some reason Ken Holland can't figure out the difference between objective and subjective um you know I think Ken Holland can barely discern between Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Daniel Nugent Bowman so we're not it's not a surprise that he's I not just, able to I think that's kind of mean but yeah <laughs> I I just I think that it's very much you know the Edmonton Oilers have built this culture on denying you know anything needs to change and yeah. the unfortunate reality is a lot of things need to change and that they won't find success until they're willing to at least incrementally embrace those changes but they are a fantastically interesting sociological study in case anyone wonders why <laughs> girl who doesn't actually like the Oilers does a podcast about them every other you know you know most weekends um it's because they're a fantastically interesting sociological study that is true I didn't I've never thought of the Oilers like that um Gerard any, well, any thoughts dad uh that would be a good coping mechanism yeah just approach them as as a complete academic interpretation as opposed to whatever i'm trying right now <laughs> i think it would be a lot a lot easier yeah um another thing that uh, we expect to be brought up at the the 
the press conference with Ken Holland is the fact that the Oilers are reportedly talking to Evander Kane, who has just had his contract terminated from the San Jose Sharks due to a suspected COVID violation. I think he flew to Vancouver while he was positive or something like that. And so they they terminated his contract and he's now a free agent. We've had guys like, Jay, uh, not Jason Greger, um, Darren Dreger and um, Paul Lebrun. Paul Lebrun? Yeah. He? Yeah. Okay. Oh my God. I forgot his name for a second. Paul Lebrun. I've connected the Oilers to Pierre, uh, Pierre Lebrun. Pierre Lebrun. Pierre oh, yeah. Lebrun. There it is. You just angloed uh, him. <laughs> I so did. Sorry. I did. Uh, my goodness. My brain is not working correctly right now. Um, but so it looks like the Oilers are talking to Dan Milstein, the agent of Evander Kane. And boy, oh boy, does that bring a whole lot of questions to the already fumbling Oilers. Uh, again, some more moral questions. Um, he has a laundry list of things in the past that has made him a controversial Including figure. Including the, uh, the violence against women. He's got violence against women. Yeah, he's got multiple uh, assault allegations, I believe, from his ex-wife. And then you have... He's also his... got rape allegations. And rape allegations as well. Jeez, this guy is not a good Betty dude. allegations, match-fixing allegations, not being able to follow COVID protocols allegations... Yeah, so, um, of course, so, naturally, the Oilers are interested in signing him. You know, Duncan Keith's uh, role in the cover-up of sexual assault in Chicago didn't bother them, so why should this? Um, and, uh, you know what, the thing here is, uh, I don't think the Oilers should do this because of those issues. The, the thing that I hate is that this is a player that I think would, from a hockey standpoint, it would help the Oilers, but, man, oh, man, do you have to overlook a lot of your morals to to justify a move like this you know what i was on twitter this week and apparently uh you know preston your condemnation of uh convicted sexual predators being allowed to play in the ohl had nothing to do with morals so according to some people on twitter you may not have to overlook your morals on this one <laughs> Maybe I don't because I'm not making that choice, but uh, the people who are bringing him in should definitely uh, be looking at their morals because it's just... To be honest, I think think that if the Oilers management feels like he will um, benefit the team, they'll bring him in. You know, if they're truly worried about um, images or... the image that they're kind of setting out they wouldn't have um you know bear was one of their most um ardent supporters in things like anti-racism and um you know community connection pieces and they treated bear horribly on the way out um you know they brought in duncan keith and basically told us all to shut up about it um Heck, Tippett doubled down this last week, and after he threw Mikko Koskinen, his only fully functional NHL goaler, goaltender, under the bus, saying that it's all Koskinen's fault, said that Duncan Keith was a leader or was the person, you know, providing leadership in the room. Um. So yeah, do I think that there's a good chance the Oilers get a Vanderkin? I mean, if they decide that the hockey will outweigh the public back. Um, wash that comes from it. Yes. I mean, people will be upset around the bet fixing one for Kane, um, the match fixing one that he had allegations of because the Oilers are already in such a, a position that, you know, 
success and failure cannot, you know, they cannot afford to have any of that kind of, well, so-and-so was throwing a game in there. Right. Like, yeah. So it, I think that that's the allegation that they may shy away from Evander came from if they shy away from it at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of one of those situations where the others are in a rut and they are presented kind of on a silver platter, a player that solves not all their issues, but a significant portion of them, I would think. Deeply. Like the right thing to do is to walk away from this. But unfortunately, the right thing hasn't exactly been the other's forte in the last decade, decade and a half. So, yeah, like it's going to, I think it's disappointing because this player is going to get a contract regardless. And you just hope it isn't with your team. But I just don't, um, I don't believe in, in the, in the wills of this management group to, to not do it. Yeah, and that's the thing that if, if we do sign him, I think it's going to be a, a fiery debate on Twitter, especially if Kane gets off to a good start because I, I think he's a good hockey player. I think he, as a hockey player and nothing else, he's a good top six winger who can score goals and do a lot for a team. But uh, so if that happens, it's going to be a split on, well, he's doing good, but he's a terrible guy, just like we've seen with Duncan Keith so far, even though you I see, think Duncan that's Keith the thing is, I think that. Evander Kane has the potential to be a really great hockey player, but as he's more than proven, he's also a very streaky hockey player. Yeah. And I swear to God, if I shook the Oilers, I would, I would be able to shake out, you know, three or four guys that are very good hockey players, but are very, very streaky, you know, not in the least like Darren, Derek Ryan is, should be doing a lot better than he is in the positions he's been playing, but you know, and I love Derek Ryan. Don't get me wrong. Like as the only, you know, University of Alberta alumnus left, um, I feel like, you know, defend Derek Ryan. But, you know, they've got a lot of talented players that haven't been, has have, have had one or two games at their potential. And they, you know, you know, hold on. Who's the, Zach, you know, let me just do this. Zach Cassian is the, the epitome of this, you know, or Darnell Nurse where you sign him at a, fucking ridiculous contract because he he had a few good games and now you're stuck with a very streaky player who was a streaky player before those really good games and is still a streaky player and was oh, a streaky player when, uh, when he was due he was just on a good streak when you uh, gave him that contract. yeah but he you know but he was he's been a streaky player every year he's been in the nhl he's been either hot or cold or hot or cold you know has darnell nurse if you look back over his like games played um but no one did that. They just looked at his last season. Yeah. It's like and we aren't doing this properly. Oh, if there's shit. a if there's a silver lining, uh, if you can find one in a Evander Kane coming to Edmonton uh, uh, situation, I can't imagine the contract would be multi-year. I imagine it would be to play the rest of the season out with McDavid. Because I can't imagine a guy like Evander Kane wants to sign a multi-year deal in Edmonton. Right? I just can't see it in his personality. He's he's a partier. He's he likes the big big stage spotlight, and I guess you could get that on a line with Carmack David or Leon Dreisaitl. But I think as a lifestyle match, I don't think that works for him. So I think if he does come here, it's for the remainder of the season for him to pot a whole bunch of goals next to one of those guys, and then to skip town to and for the Oilers to offer him a ridiculous contract, I'll have Tyson Berry. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so like I said, it's uh, or like we've all been saying, it's a. I am literally not sure the way for us to win this one. So, (laughs) 
yeah no and, it's yeah. it's a small silver lining at the most but uh yeah you might not have to wait long for it though because i think it was gord miller that did say he expects a contract with somebody to be done by the end of the week so yes i believe I heard thankfully that. it won't be an elongated you know torturous discussion about whether or whether they shouldn't it'll just be right on to the postmortem there yeah, maybe even as they we're talking about this, as this comes out on the day on Tuesday, uh, it'll already be solved. So who knows? This might be completely uh, old news uh, by tomorrow. Um, yeah. So-, so if you know we get to Tuesday and you hear an ungodly screech, it's because they signed him, and I've just found out. You know. Oh. Yeah. It's uh. It's not 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 even fun. as my sociological experiment. They really test me someday. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for our first half of the show. When we come back, we're going to be talking a little bit about a little bit more positive stuff. Stuart Skinner in uh, Bakersfield, he's 4-0 since being sent down. He's just got a shout-out in his last game. Um, we're going to talk about if he's the best goaltender in the organization, which I think we all agree with. I don't know. Then we're going to talk a little bit about some juicy goaltender rumors uh, relating to the Oilers and Carey Price. And then uh, I think that'll do it for our show. So we'll be right back. All right, and we're back. We ended off that last segment talking about Evander Kane and why it would be oh so terrible, but completely on brand for the Oilers to bring him in. Uh, now I want to talk about something a little bit more positive. Stuart Skinner has been one of the bright spots on this Oilers team this year. Um, with Mike Smith coming back from injury recently, he's been gone down to Bakersfield of the AHL, and he's been fantastic down there. 4-0, uh, just got shut out in his last game. Guys, I think the question can be asked here is Stuart Skinner the best goaltender in the organization as low a bar as that is I can say most likely yes yeah it's a very low bar I would think he's the best goaltender in the organization at a professional level I'm not entirely sure they've got some goaltenders in there that are still playing junior that may you know may be able to uh in a few years be as good or better yeah but i think right now at a professional level skinner is probably the best well i mean i really like konovalov too so you know skinner's one of the best skinner's you know the most seasoned goaltender that i have the most faith in i think you know he and konovalov are definitely the best goaltenders in their system right now um at a professional level so you know Skinner's done admirably at the NHL level in behind what could charitably be called an insufficient defense um and I think that you know he has the potential to do a lot better in the next you know year year and a half if he's actually given a chance to to continue to play and develop instead of whatever the good fuck the Oilers management are doing with goalies nowadays. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I think uh, a lot with a lot of the the kind of criticism on the Oilers being pinned on the goalies, which I don't think is fair. It it seems like an obvious move is to call this guy back up. You know, Koskinen has been. I think it's, everyone's exaggerating a little bit on Koskinen. I don't think he's the worst goalie in the world, like uh, a lot of fans and media will have you believe. I also don't think he's a great goalie. 
Um, I think he, he's, he, he serves good as a backup at the NHL level, not a starter. We've been playing him as a starter, and would you look at what's happening? He's having some struggles uh, maintaining his quality of play. Mike Smith, an uh, absolute Band-Aid right now, and someone I do not trust in the net. Um, his two games, I think his two games back, he led in eight goals, and for some reason no one was talking about him. So, uh, not he's yeah. played three games. Did he play three games back now? Uh, I thought it was just the two games, and yeah, I think it was just the two games. Yeah, and I believe yeah. uh, he lost both. He lost in uh, St. Louis, and he I lost. think it was it was it was ten goals against in two games, wasn't it? As was it ten? I know he let in he let in six against the Devils. And then he let in uh, four had... against St. Louis. Well, it might be ten, even worse than I yeah. thought. Um, so he's not that's a guy a, I trust in the net either. Stat. So yeah. He has played six games this season. Let's see. Yeah, as as she looks that up. Um, yeah, if you were to if you were to point a gun at my head right now and tell me you have to choose one goalie within the entire Oilers organization to start whatever game is coming up next, you know, be it Ottawa, be it Tampa Bay, whatever. Stuart no. Skinner is my goalie easily. Yeah, gentlemen, I am right, and you are all wrong. He played oh, St. Really? Louis. He played New Jersey. He played Toronto. Oh, I forgot about the Toronto game. Very forgettable Toronto game. That's right. So that's 14 goals against in three games. Is that better? Unless there was no, there was an empty netter. Four goals against six goals against three. The last been an empty netter. So 13 goals against in four or three games. Yeah. So bad, (laughs) bad as well. Not great. Um, Yeah. Um, so we've been hearing on Twitter for, for a little bit here. Oh, they were going to call up, uh, uh, Stuart Skinner. I remember they they reassigned. Kind of is in COVID. Is kind of all in COVID now? He got added to the protocol call. yesterday. Boy, yeah. well, I, I don't. So of... let me say, I don't think you can afford to call up Stuart Skinner right now because I think you put kind of Olive on your taxi squad and you put him in COVID. But you know, I don't think so. I don't think you're getting Stuart Skinner because oh boy, then Bakersfield has no goalies. <laughs> They've already. They, I know they reassigned uh, Rodrigue to Wichita. And that had every, yeah. last week, and that had a lot of people being like, "Oh, something's going to happen with the goalies," and nothing happened with the goalies. Um, so yeah, now Konovalov's on COVID. A couple days ago, he went to COVID protocol because my sister went, "Who the fuck is this?" And I went, "Oh, that's the other goalie from Vegas. <laughs> what the fuck is he doing in that?" Uh, is do we have Koskinen and Smith on COVID, or are they? No, I. Those are two of the few players that have not been added to the protocol of league all season somehow. Jeez. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know how Smith, Smith could have injured. had COVID three times in the time it took for his groin injury. <laughs> for you know? his day-to-day day-to-day injury to to heal up. Um, for all yes. the badness about the protocol, um, I I believe there's something like NHL players don't have to get tested for 90 days post like positive protocol case. So. You know, the others are through the thick of it for the most part in terms of losing players, at least. Yeah. I don't know, because I would rather they lose players and make an attempt at public safety than say, fuck public safety, we don't have to test them anymore. Because there's been no evidence around COVID that a person can't or is, is safe from retransmission of COVID, especially the, you know, delightfully new and um, contagious Omicron variant. Um, that they can't, you know, especially when you've got fucking Bo Bennett out there talking about how he's had COVID nine times. You're good for 90 days. How the fuck have you had COVID nine times, stupid? 
Um, I'm going to shut up now. I got a response from Bo Bennett there, too. He made fun of my name. So, well, nice guy. Nice guy. (laughs) Seems like, but I'm just like, if it's, if you're good for 90 days, how the fuck has Bo Bennett had COVID nine times? Yeah. Yeah, so now you you risk bringing Skinner up. And did he get COVID when he was here? I am having a very hard time following this. Uh, I, I think I can't know. recall, honestly. Like the, the amount of players is like going on and off protocol, especially these days for the Oilers, it's hard to keep track of, honestly. Yeah. Let's um, assume so if you bring him up, he's going to get COVID. What was that? I said, let's just assume if you bring him up, He's going to get COVID somehow, yeah. right? Like, oh boy. what a mess. And we what saw it mess. with Dylan Holloway, right? You know, he finally gets back with the team after however many months long with a wrist injury, and then two days later, protocol. Yeah. It's, it's well, almost I mean, a rite of passage for every player right injury, now. So whatever. Yeah, so um, ideally, I guess you'd like a call-up for Skinner to happen right away, but I guess this COVID stuff does kind of mess it up. Um, but I let's... feel like we should probably give some kind of olive back before yeah. Skinner. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I think that's the obvious move, right, is to put Conoval down and bring Skinner up. I am seeing a list here from yesterday from Daniel Nugent Bowman, and among the players that have not been in protocol, um, Skinner has not. Same oh, okay. with Dreisaitl, Hyman, Sevier, Terrace, Russell, Nimalainen, Smith, Koskinen, Robrooks, and Marukov. So. I thought okay. Hyman had been in protocol. No, he had a, a injury. Upper oh. body injury. I can't remember quite what it was. Okay, well, then he just got his injury while everyone else was going to protocol. Yeah. <laughs> I think he, he missed, his first game he missed was the one where we missed, uh, where Nugent and Pugliarvi went on protocol in Seattle. I think. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. please don't get hurt when everyone else is going to COVID protocol because it just confuses <laughs> the rest of us. Yeah, no, I think uh, a, lot, a lot of people are making that mistake as well. Um, so let's live in a little bit of a fantasy world right now. What if the Oilers bring up uh, Stuart Skinner at some point? What happens with Koskinen and Smith? And I think the obvious answer is, well, you trade Koskinen. Well, I think the Oilers would have done that in the past year or two if, 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 if it was really easy to do so. Um, what, what would you guys do here? What do you think is a realistic option? If we bring up Skinner, what happens to the other two guys? Well, you know, honestly, I think someone, and <clears throat> Mike Smith, um, is probably going to end up on the LTIR again. Yeah. Um, I think that that's your realistic option to bring up Skinner is that the goalie you've signed for two years, who's played three games or four games or five, six, my apologies, six games, um, will be broken again shortly yeah which is the risk you took signing a freaking you know honestly a good bet 40 year old goalie with a history of injuries and you know uh coming off a heater last year that was way above his general save percentage you know like if anyone's spent more than half a second on this knows I love goalies. I, they're my favorite players. doesn't matter what, but I cannot get myself to like Mike Smith. There's this love of him in this city, but like none of his historical work, you know, his, his, the record books do not prove that he is going to be a nine 15 or even a nine 10 goaltender. If he's healthy, you know, even last season, right? Like, the, the stars aligned perfectly for him because it wasn't a full season. He did not have a proper starters workload. And yes, he had a good run with it. I don't, you know, to say that he didn't earn at least a year's contract, 
to me is unfair to him because he did at least do that much, but not to resume the same role he had in an increased workload for more years. That's yeah. like that's the issue. See, I thought, you know, great, you had a wonderful year. Go the same the same thing I thought with Barry. Go try the market and see who will sign you. Yeah, go get paid. I don't want <laughs> yeah. you. You would have liked that to be anywhere else but here, but yeah. No, like, do I think that he had a he had he had um, marketability to get another contract? One hundred percent, I do. But I don't think any other organization would have given him the two something for two years that Holland and Tippett gave him. And I think that's, only, that's what brought him back. I think it was a panic move by Holland. Go well, ahead. And it was done before the free agency market actually officially opened too, wasn't it? Yeah. Like he didn't even, I know he's, you know, it's two years in a row now. Holland swung for the fences on a big name goalie, didn't get it. And then, oh, well, guess it's Miko and Mike again. I'm like, oops. First it was uh, Jakob Markstrom. Now it was Darcy Kemper this season. But, you know, you, you got to try more than well, once. Well, when did right? Darcy Kemper become a big name goalie? Well, I mean, his he was the big name on the market, right? In terms of trade. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was just like, I still remember Darcy Kemper, like, you know, as the erratic backup in Minnesota that needed to get out of Minnesota to stabilize a bit. So, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> I don't know what else to say about move that. Move it along, move it along, or we'll fall down the goalie hole. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so maybe this doesn't matter. Maybe goalies don't matter in the future here because guess what? The Oilers are rumored in on Carey Price now. Um, if you don't know who Carrie Price is, uh, you why are you listening to this podcast? I don't know why you're listening to this podcast if you don't know who Carrie Price is. So I won't go much into him. Obviously, used to be a very, 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 very good goalie. Signed an absolutely massive contract over in Montreal worth $10 million, highest paid goalie in NHL history. Um, now looks like he's uh, on his way out in Montreal. And the Oilers, looking for a goalie, naturally are interested. Now, uh, first off, there's a few things to talk about here. Um, first off, does he make sense for the team? What does a potential trade look like? And should the Oilers even bother? And I'll give you guys my quick um, answers to these questions. I actually think Carey Price would make sense just as a player. He's a good goalie still, I think, despite um, some of his problems this year, um, personal problems. I think he can put those behind him. Be a pretty good starting goalie still. Um the thing that doesn't make sense is his cap hit, obviously. The Warriors are cap-strapped again because of Ken Holland's uh, inability to manage the cap. And uh, $10 million is not going to be an easy thing to fit in there. So something's going out, and there's going to be there has to be some retention. We Ken Holland can't, can't get around this. There has to be retention for this to work. Um, so what does a potential trade look like? I don't know. Something around... You, you, I, I still don't think you give up legitimate assets for this guy. Like, like I'm not. I'm saying you don't give up a top round prospect like Borgo or Holloway for him. I even balk at the the suggestion of a first round pick as well. I don't think the value is really there for you. Um, Let me so ask you, you a question: Do you think that you shouldn't give up uh, assets like that, or that Ken Holland wouldn't give up assets like that? Because those are I two wouldn't. Okay. I wouldn't give up those assets. Ken Holland totally would. Definitely. He's, he's got his guide and record book. He saw the, the 2015 Hart trophy on there, and he's like, that's worth everything. Hey, in that there. was within the decade. That's pretty neat. <laughs> uh, so that's I would, but Ken that's Holland will bat Buffalo. Price. He had an excellent playoff run last year with the Montreal Canadiens. One of the reasons that they got as far into the playoffs as they did. You know, and whatever personal... Um, health 
concerns he had at the start of the season, he was conscientious enough to address instead of pretending that they didn't exist. So huge kudos um, to him for that. Yeah. I'm not sure. Like you, Preston, I'm not sure where the money comes from. It's one of those things where it would sure be nice to get creative with this, but Ken Holland lost the ability to be creative as a long time ago. As soon as the cap was introduced. As soon yeah. as the cap was introduced, all his yeah. creativity was gone. Well, see, like, because, you know, I could see someone like uh, whoever it is in Toronto who, who, who does things, three-way trades and, and moving cap around and, and all that, um, being able to manage bringing something like that in. But I don't see that as something Ken Holland can do. Ken Holland can't even go into a, a negotiation getting a lesser player and get them to retain cap, right? Like, yeah. you know, you're getting a lesser player out of Chicago in Keith than, you know, the potential that is in um, Jones, um, but you're taking Keith, okay? So why didn't Chicago retain some of that cap? right? Like Ken Holland can't even get that to happen. So you expect me to think he's going to manage some fancy trading, um, you know, frick. Chicago was ready to buy out Keith and we still couldn't get them to keep any cap, you know, like this is not going to happen because he cannot, he cannot finagle his way that complicated of a trade. But the, the, this is kind of different though, because he has to retain cap. He can't get this guy unless they retain cap. Yeah, well, that means we're not going to get this guy. Yeah. <laughs> that's the unfortunate reality with him, isn't it? Um, yeah, I guess that's point. true. <laughs> cannot get his head around it, and therefore you do not get the goalie. Yeah. Um, yeah and I, like that. I like Carey Price as a goalie. I think he's a good guy, too. Like you said, he's had I like most goalies as goalies. But... And um, he, like you said, he's conscientious enough to, to go and address them, and I think that's a respectable trait, and I think I respect him for that. It takes a hell of a lot to do in a, as a, a big-name hockey player to be able to recognize Especially that. Especially in, in a market like Montreal, which is mm-hmm. comparatively... He's one of the rare players that we don't have a problem with his character and his personality and who he is. On From that a moral note, standpoint, we like him. On that note, may I offer my own fantasy hockey goalie you know, verdict? You know, oh, in terms yes. of it doesn't make sense, but I still want it. Uh, it's a player that I've longed for an Oilers, you know, to wear an Oilers jersey for several years, and that's Braden Holtby. He has not been the best the last few seasons. He's doing better in Dallas this season. He's on a very cheap contract at $2 million, ex- expiring at the end of this season. And he has those characteristics of just a genuinely good person. He's shown and that. Turtles. And turtles as well, as long as he can get them across the border. But if we manage t- that once, <laughs> like if we're talking though, like goalies that like doesn't make t- too much sense, but I'd still love to see an Oilers uniform before they retire. That is my pick, and I think that with his contract expiring at the end of the season, it could be a nice stopgap to Stuart Skinner, while also being not a terrible option in the net for the time being. Yeah, you know that's a that's a hot what? take. I think I haven't heard that much, but he is having a pretty good. Year I like this idea. In, uh... This is a better idea than the yeah. one Preston's floating. I have been on yeah. this train for the last two or three years. Well, two years before he was a UFA in Washington. I'm like two years till the Oilers can sign Braden Holpe. Uh, apparently, Ken Holland offered him a better deal than Vancouver did, but he chose Vancouver instead, I, and that was heartbreaking for me. But now, again, it's once again the third instance now where the, like the cards are aligned, where Dallas might not be a playoff team and they might be sellers. They might be looking for something for him at the deadline. It could be a Rolleson situation again, 
I'd love it to be, but again, that's my fantasy hockey thing going. Yeah, and Dallas has um, kind of got a goaltender carousel here, don't they? They have Jake Odinger, and they have uh, Kudobin, Kudobin as well. And both of those goalies, I believe, are signed beyond this season. Yeah, so hopefully you'd be the, the odd man out there. I'm that is interesting. Saying. It is an interesting, it, it's cost effective. Ooh. It kind of goes, he's won a Stanley Cup recently, you know so Holland will Two like million? that. Two million is a lot easier to, to cap finagle than Ted. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. I, I like how uh, uh, Braden Holpe is like uh, your version of Taylor Hall for me. Because <laughs> every time he's up, I'm just like, here it is. He's coming back. He's coming home. But uh, Sorry, I just lost audio for like the last 20 seconds, but I cut the last of it. And yes, I agree. Like, <laughs> I don't know, you guys. You got you, 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 you got to come home. And I just, I love to watch everybody think they're going to get their player. And <laughs> I will Hall's say this, back still. this, this, if, if Braden Holby becomes an empty Oiler, I am ordering a number 70. Presumably that's the number he would pick here. Jersey, like the same minute that he, like the, the tweet comes out from the others. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that could be a pretty easy fix. And you're right. It could be a stopgap option for uh, Stuart Skinner until he's ready to take on the, that starter. That starter. And the money, surprisingly, it's a situation where the money could actually work, maybe. because mm. yeah, I, I was skeptical when Holpe was up a few years ago with Washington because I assumed the price tag would be just uh, astronomical. But uh COVID has kind of brought everything down a little bit. So. And Vancouver kind of ruined that for him. So yeah. he did not have the best uh, time in Vancouver. Yeah. That's an, it's interesting. I'm surprised we haven't heard more about that. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that would be a pretty interesting fix to the problem, actually, that I haven't thought about. Um, hey, Gerard, have you ever considered becoming a hockey guy and, you know, potentially oh. joining the hockey man club so you could float ideas like yes, this? Yes, me, big hockey man. No. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm right out. <laughs> I mean, like, in this case, it's my, like, my heart is making this decision more than anything because, again, I like to see good people on the Oilers, like not just good players, good people. And yeah. I think he is one of those. And unfortunately, instead, we're talking about maybe Evander Kane joining the team. So Yeah, no, it's definitely... Uh, disheartening to be an Oilers fan who cheers, who wants to cheer for good people, but the Oilers continually just find the worst. Um, all right. I think that's going to do it for uh, this week's episode of the Copper and Blue podcast. I hope you guys uh, uh, enjoyed our thrilling conversations about Evander Kane and uh, at Stuart Skinner, as well as that, that little Braden Holpe tidbit at the end. Um, uh, so thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you uh, next week.